Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GetterCountry.com. Eric, it's our uh, first chance to step back and, and take a look at the Florida season that was. I think a lot of us really are still somewhat disappointed that the Gators aren't playing tomorrow night. Uh, but uh, it's always fun to, to start looking back and then uh, looking ahead. Yeah, I think that there's going to be a lot of people, especially when that game tips uh, with Oral Roberts and Arkansas. There's, yeah, there's going to be a whole lot of people that's would have been that are going to see that, and there's going to be probably another wave of disappointment, thinking that Florida should be in that game, thinking that uh, they should be playing an Arkansas team that the Gators kind of hung with for for most of their their matchup earlier in the season. So I am definitely expecting another uh, another round of. Uh, uh, let's say, I don't know, discourse from, from, uh, from Gator Twitter. Um, if Oral Roberts ends up getting like blown out or something, uh, that would probably fuel some as well. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, it is interesting. I mean, the way that the transfer portal is to see that that starts hopping so quickly to see the coaching carousel move so quickly. I mean, usually that stuff, well, I shouldn't say usually a couple of years ago, maybe it's till after the, the national championship game. But uh, yeah, that's that's no more. Uh, things move so quickly. And that's why, yeah, we can be less than a week out of Florida season ending. And it already just seems like we're well into the offseason. Yeah, it's it's been a, a crazy week. Total chaos. Uh, you know, when you know you're you know, things are going pretty wildly when on the bottom line here in the States, uh, there's Osaya Osifo transfers from Florida fourth transfer in one week, which isn't even true, but, you know, uh, fourth player to depart the program in one week for certain. Um, so when you're making the ESPN bottom line, there's obviously a lot of turnover. Um, and I think we can kind of get into that first. I'm sure a lot of our listeners want to talk about it. So let, let's start with uh, the departure of Trey Mann, which I think is the least surprising thing that's happened this week. Uh, yeah, I mean – I, hey, maybe you can make an argument for for Jordan Mincy taking uh, taking a head job. I think that one was I don't know. It feels like a couple of years. No, no, you're but that, that that that's a close second. I mean, Trey Mann going to, uh, yeah, to going putting his name in the draft. Uh, I just think that was a no brainer. Like I, I know that there are some people who were like, oh, he uh, that were you know tweeting at me saying, oh, he should stay another another year and <laughs> get better. I I, I guess I, I just unfortunately if you're in that camp, I I don't want to say you're wrong. I just don't think that maybe you don't have an understanding about how this, this goes um, with NBA prospects. If you see your name well into first round uh, projections, uh, you've just got to go. There's just, there'd be so much more for him to potentially lose by coming back than there would be for him to gain. I think he's 100% making the right decision and uh, I wish him the best. Yeah, no, I think uh, a couple things. First of all, you're absolutely correct. I mean, if you, are where he is, he's not going to fall out of the first round in that spot. Um, and if he gets drafted in the first round, he gets guaranteed money. He doesn't have to be uh, taken in the lottery to get that guaranteed money. Um, so that's point one. Uh, point two is scouts really love his game. He's the kind of player who in the NBA may even be better than he was in college, uh, just the way that he plays, the way that he can – uh, get into the lane and score the way he's got that. He, I mean, we've talked about on the show how that little floater is actually a pretty good shot for him. It's going to remain uh, a shot that he can create in the NBA. Um, I think the faster tempo in the NBA is going to favor him, the shorter shot clock. There's a bunch of things 
certainly his ability to create off the bounce uh, is going to be uh, helpful. So definitely an argument that he's going to be even better and, and he's going to continue to grow as a player, obviously. I mean, we just saw one year of the type of leap that he's capable of taking and, and he grew last summer. So just imagine when he uh, puts all that together. So I think absolutely making the right choice. Um, did it in the classiest way possible would have been point three. Um, loved the tribute that he gave to Mike White and the staff on Twitter. I thought that that was uh, something you don't see a lot of players do publicly. Um, and it was really nice to see, you know, what his time at Florida obviously meant to him. And, <clears throat> you know, we should say, since it's a season and review show that, that this isn't a team that's on the cusp of the sweet 16 without Trey man. It's not a team that's even in the NCAA tournament uh, without Trey man. So just a tremendous sophomore season for him. And, and I'm really happy for him. Yeah. I was just looking uh, as you're speaking, Neil, just at rookie scale deals. So uh, right now ESPN, uh, the draft express guys that go through ESPN, uh, they have the best mock draft. That's just like proven. If you look back at mock drafts and, and how accurate they were in the end, um, they're, they're the best. Uh, it's not even close. They're just so, so well sourced. And that makes them what's what's uh, the best, what they do. Anyways, they have Trey man 15th right now, uh, which is higher than I think a lot of people have them. and draft express. The guy, those guys are the best Jonathan Gavoni and, and Mike Schmitz. So, so they have him 15th. Um, obviously there's still a lot of, process to go through um, but if he does get drafted 15th he's getting over eight million dollars guaranteed to him over th three years um, even if he drops down to like 25th um, that's going to be like just under six million dollars over years guaranteed so that's a whole lot of to to walk away from um, and like you said Neil um, he's he's going to be in the first round if nothing else and uh, there's a chance yeah if he does get drafted 15th three years guaranteed that's uh that's a, that's a lot of money and like you said i think just a super classy message and it was one that like for lack of a better term it just felt like he wrote it where a lot of times when you hear these uh statements from players it's pretty cookie cutter or, or formulaic and uh that was not trey mans at all it just seemed right from the heart and very genuine so i love that um i gotta ask you neil a scale of one to ten how shocked were you by the noah lock transfer <clears throat> yeah moving on to uh Probably go from least shocking to most shocking, I think. <laughs> um, I got to say a nine, a nine and a half. And, and we can give our listeners, you know, what we found out about the backstory, but just really stunning. A three-year starter, uh, a guy that was given a lot of freedom by the staff, a guy who has some shortcomings to his game uh, without elite athleticism. Um, I'm not really sure when the last time – we saw Trey man handled the ball out of a double team or anything like that. Uh, Eric, not a great passer, certainly takes care of the ball, but not a, not a great passer. We saw how limited he was in the pick and roll this year. And yet still a guy that Mike white constantly put on the floor, trusted for his leadership and trusted uh, as one of the better three point shooters in college basketball, just really stunned. You don't normally see a player that has that comfortable a role leave before his senior season. 
Yeah, I've got to say, I mean, like you kind of mentioned, Neil, or alluded to, uh, got some backstory, which suggested that this was maybe not a shocking uh, situation. And, and there was definitely some people, it, it seemed like, it seemed like the staff kind of maybe was expecting this. Uh, but for me, yeah, I was like, a, I was like an eight or a nine out of 10. There was definitely a part of me that when I first heard it, maybe it's like, you know, like something I've been calling for, for, for years was for them to, to start running him off some more screens and get him some more opportunities that way. So I thought uh, maybe he's like, I want to go somewhere where they'll yeah run me off pin, pin downs all day and run me off floppy and he can shoot a bunch of shots off screens. I was thought kind of, maybe that was the case. Uh, that was not the case um, from the Intel we got. Um, and yeah, maybe he thought there should be uh, something that was more to his role that, that Florida didn't really see from him. But um, I, I was looking at something completely kind of unrelated for a different project I was working on. Um, and uh, I thought one very interesting stat was uh, that I kind of just happened into because I wanted to see how many pick and rolls did, did Noah Locke run this year and how did they go? Um, I think people know that I wrote about it a few weeks ago at that uh, Noah Locke pick and rolls went quite poorly. Um, and then I was looking at AJ Lawson for a completely unrelated project. And, uh, I saw that AJ Lawson, uh, ran less pick and rolls this year than Noah Locke did by a significant number. Noah Locke ran 30% more pick and rolls than, uh, than AJ Lawson did at South Carolina, who's a quite good pick and roll player. So if you want to put even into context, how much, um, opportunity that, that he got in, in some of the roles, those roles, despite being not a very good pick and roll ball handler. Well, it was more than AJ Lawson at South Carolina. who's a very good pick and roll ball handler, but uh, yeah, maybe that wasn't, um, wasn't quite enough for him. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just very strange. He was a, a high volume scorer, um, but an efficient scorer in high school. Uh, but, you know, I think three years into his career, you know, either, there weren't enough points for him or the role wasn't what he wanted. And, and the, the backstory that I know that we got that we can share with you all is that we hadn't, uh, <clears throat> that it was more of the second. He didn't like his, his role as much anymore and, and went to his exit inter interview and asked if, if uh, potentially there was going to be time for him at point guard uh, where he wanted to play uh, next season. And I think obviously based on, you know, what I've heard, it, it must have been something that he had brought up previously because the staff had had time to think about it. And, and those that were in that meeting basically said, well, we really don't see you that way. And uh, so Noah Locke very quickly uh, decided he would go and try to find somewhere that that does see him that way. And, and I wish him luck, although, I, you know, I've got to be honest, I don't know outside of like the kingdom of Asgard where he's going to get a shot to, to play point guard. I mean, I think that there's going to be some teams that tell him he can play point guard. Um, I don't know how genuine those, those coaches will be that say that. I mean, again, <laughs> like, like again, not trying to be rude because I, I love Noah Locke and I yeah. have thought that he should take more shots. And I thought that he should have more stuff ran for him, but not as a primary initiator, not as someone who needs to make reads, not as someone who should be dribbling the ball. I, the, the the one thing I guess I can maybe understand, and I have no idea if this is how the meeting went, but if you're Noah Locke and you say, well, I'm, you know, generously listed at 6'3", probably more like 6'2", um, not athletic, um, I'm probably not going to be able to, if, if his dream is to play in the NBA, which is for most players, and I remember when he, you know, first committed to the Gators, um, and I interviewed him for Gator Country, he said he wanted to play in the NBA, as, as he should, as should be his dream. Maybe part of him looks at it and says, well, I'm 6'2 and not particularly athletic. I, I, if I'm going to have a chance in the NBA, I need to be a, a lead guard. Uh, maybe that's how he sees it, uh, which would be, hey, if that's his, if that's his end goal at, at, at all costs, then like, yeah, that's probably the case. There's not too many 
six two on athletic guys, even ones who can shoot the ball that are hanging around the NBA. So maybe that's what he's looking for, or maybe it's uh, maybe he thinks that's what he's going to be successful at right away. I'm I'm not totally sure, but uh, but yeah, definitely a strange one. Um, not a player that I see um, handling the ball and being a creator and a point guard. Um, and man, I've got to say, like props to if if the conversation went somewhat how we think it went i've got to give props to florida's coaching staff who one recognized that no he is not going to play in that role uh he's not going to be successful in that role and uh not lying to him so uh, i i can respect there i mean obviously i've been spending a lot of time saying that he shouldn't be handling the ball in pick and roll situations well i showed you i'm mean, right well i told you he had a lot more opportunities than aj lawson a third-year player who's been great in pick and rolls throughout his career so they gave noah Locke more than his fair share, I would say, of opportunities to show that if if he can be, he can be a point or initiator. And unfortunately, those just did not go well. So uh, wish him the best of luck. And uh, I will give props to to Florida's coaching staff for saying like, no, this is uh, this is not what we're looking for. Yeah, I think one of the things that has always been valued by White's players and players that have played for this staff, which had been together for a very long time, we'll get to that in just a second. Um, is that they do tell kids the truth. And, you know, I, I do respect that. And I'm sure that they told Noah the truth because they respect Noah and they respect uh, certainly all the leadership he's brought. You, you know, he remember Noah was the first of that group to start. I mean, Andrew was still um, Andrew was still not starting and Keontae was the last to start. Uh, Noah started more or less right away. Uh, and, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, I, for us, I think the biggest thing was, we would have liked to see Noah Locke take more shots. He should have had more games like the Oral Roberts game where he had 11 field goal attempts. Um, you know, these games where he goes two for five, I don't think did a lot of uh, of justice to, to what he's best at. Um, and yeah, I mean, I imagine that some of this was an NBA thing. I mean, I think you can sometimes, I hate to read it between the lines on a lot of these uh posts that they put up on Twitter or Instagram, but the whole like bet on yourself thing is definitely kind of hints that maybe he, he really thinks this is his path to the next level and he's betting on himself that he can play that position, you know, and I, I wish him the best of luck. I just think it's going to be a very difficult ask for him. Um, you know, one other point that was made to me was um, the trauma of the Keontae situation. And he did mention obstacles and things like that. And his, uh, goodbye, and maybe mentally it, it, it had to be the hardest on Noah Locke this season of any of the Florida players, it's his best friend and his roommate. Um, so I think, you know, that's probably difficult. That doesn't – I don't think it portends or dictates anything about Keontae's future. Um, you know, I don't think anybody really knows that for sure, but I think combination of what was best for Noah and maybe it does get his mind off, you know, just what happened here. Um, but that, that gets deep into speculation that – uh, is is a little farther than we usually go on the show. Yeah, plenty of time for speculation should be used to in the the dog days of summer. Um, but by then, hey, maybe there won't be need for speculation. Maybe we maybe we know for sure. Uh, but uh, but yeah, and then of of course um, the last one, um, Osai Osifo uh, goes in the uh, in the in the portal today. Uh, what were your your thoughts surrounding that one, Neil? I mean. Um... I thought Osaya had some good moments in Florida's four game winning streak in January, where we saw that defensively he can be a plus defender collegiately. Um, and, you know, I just didn't ever see anything that suggested he would have enough offense to, to 
make it okay to have him on the floor in, except for in very limited rotations, um, because you're really taking an offensive player off the floor. Obviously, we saw what happened in the Sweet 16. I don't think that necessarily pushed it one way or the other, but um, I didn't think he was a power six player when they brought him in, Eric. And um, I, I would be surprised if he lands in the power six. Well, I mean, you know, I've obviously been known as the uh, the resident Tyree Appleby expert for a couple of years now. Uh, but really, I, you could just as easily call me the, the resident Osayo Sifo expert because I watched every minute he played in junior college over two years. Um, I, I don't know if anyone else has, <laughs> I don't know if anyone else has done that outside of, uh, outside of his team staff, but, but I, but I did. And I, I should, st- I should stop right here and just say like, I think Osayo Sifo by all accounts is a tremendous, tremendous young man, super respectful. And I don't know if there's anyone else who, who worked harder than him. I thought he gave it his 100% all every time he was on the court. And mm-hmm. by all accounts, he did that at, in everyday in practice. So you know, when I say this, I really don't want to sound like I'm disparaging a guy who I really do like and I'm really cheering for. But man, I thought this was a bad take and really a failure by the coaching staff. I, I again, just a, a curious take from the beginning where it seemed like they offered him and had him accept so quickly. And again, th- this this transfer tells you, you know, one of two things. Either one, they thought he was better than he actually was and thought he could play at this level. Well. You know, I watched every minute that he played in junior college. I didn't think he could get it done on the offensive or defensive side of the basketball. And I wrote about why um, at, at pretty good lengths. So that's that's the one scenario that maybe that, that we see from him transferring out. Or the other scenario is we saw that he uh, that, that maybe they thought he was a guy who would stick around. But if he's transferring out, then clearly they sold him something other than you're going to you're going to stay around here and you're going to develop. Because if that was the case, he'd still be on campus. So I just don't really see a scenario how this worked because it was one, we think you're good enough to play at this level, come to Florida. And then he came to Florida and he wasn't good enough. And then they were wrong. Or it was, hey, we want to bring you on in, in, and we want to see you develop. And maybe in your fourth fourth year, um, or may, maybe redshirt, maybe in your fourth, fifth year, um, you're going to be a contributor. Well, they clearly weren't selling him that bill of goods because you know he's in the transfer portal after, after a season. So I just don't really see it. Like I just feel like this was destined to fail from the start. I think this was a bad take. Um, yeah, I just, I, I, I have talked about it, wrote about it at length. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I feel bad again. I, I, I do feel bad that I was taking my victory lap on Twitter for being fairly certain it wasn't going to work out. And unfortunately it looks like it's, it's, well, it, it didn't. Um, I, I do feel bad that my victory lap comes at the expense of saying a player wasn't going to work out and he didn't, but man, I just, I just feel like you could have seen this from a mile away that it wasn't going to work. And, uh, I, I think that the, I, I just hope the staff learns from that. Yeah, it seems like an overcorrect to me. It seemed like it at the time. Remember last year when they took him, Eric, they were talking about trusting their own evaluations and not star ratings. And it just set, it seemed like an overcorrect and a reach. And uh, I really do wish uh, OC the best. I know that he, he was a guy that worked really hard in practice and made them better in practice. And we heard the staff compliment the way he practiced and how he lifted up people. And I think all that's very good. And I think He'll find a program probably at the mid-major level where he can do that, um, and and uh, that will be good. But it wasn't the best fit at Florida, uh, and that's regardless of what you think of of our, you know, relatively consistent Florida basketball hour take that whether PJ Hall had cold feet or not, they should have waited on a high four-star big that had ties to the university um, and was skilled offensively. 
uh, which I think, you know, I'm not necessarily certain how useful that would have been the way this season played out. But I think when you start looking at the roster next year, uh, it would have been nice to have that kind of versatile piece. Uh, and instead, uh, at least for now, he's he's at Clemson and, um, you know, he had he went through his tough times as a freshman, too. So it's not necessarily about an Osif over Hall versus Hall. Uh, comparison, Eric, but I think certainly a reach by the staff, and and uh, you were certainly proven correct. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, yeah, uh, sad to be correct, but you know, happy. I was, you know, what I was, I was a lot more correct on my uh, uh, on my predictions for Tyree Appleby and uh, and uh, uh, Anthony Deruji stats. So I was pretty happy about that. That was my more. That was the victory lap on Twitter. I was much more happy to take. Um, yeah, I think that that's uh, that's pretty interesting that that Florida does have now. Uh, like again, not that those guys were huge stack guys, but they were starters on a solid team and uh, got big roles and and you know were able to play big minutes. So um, I am interested as we you know get into Florida reaching out to transfers that like man they can show Igor Kulichov, they can show Jalen Hudson, they can show you know grad transfers, true transfers, whatever. Like other other than this junior college transfer here, um, their Division One to Division One transfers have gone very well, and and uh, I hope that that works in their favor when it comes to uh, recruiting all these great names that are in the portal. Yeah, yeah, I really think it will. Uh, we do need to talk about Quest Glover, and I will start. Mm. I'm going to punt. I'll punt Quest Glover to you um, with this point that, you know, we can take victory laps on Florida Basketball Hour. And then also, I think on this show, one thing I pride myself on is I try to be fair and I try to admit when I'm wrong. And I thought this was a, a good take. Um, I didn't, what I will say is, I wasn't sure what position he played and probably should have thought about that much harder. Um, you know, when I thought that maybe they had found kind of a Kihi Clark, I didn't realize that he wasn't nearly as much of a point guard as, as Kihi Clark. Uh, and so, you know, instead of starting point guard for the defending national champion, you've got a kind of positionless undersized guard that's going to hit the portal. And, and look, do we do bold predictions before I kick it to Eric? Why not? I yes. think I think Quez will latch on somewhere and score a lot of points. Um, I think it's probably going to be a low major type school, but um, you know I still think he'll be a successful college basketball player. Eric? Uh, yeah, I mean I think he's someone who's probably going to be around for five seasons uh, with the year of eligibility here. So um, yeah, I mean the the only problem is I I still have to squint a little bit about like well, is he going to be a, is he going to be one of these guards that like are hitting the portal right now from a low major that's scoring 15 or 16 points and has one or two assists per game? Or is he going to be someone who scores 10 points a game and has, you know, five or six assists? Well, you know, I kind of look at it like, well, I just don't see the vision and passing ability for him to be kind of a true point guard. So yeah, it's going to be big for him, but uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I probably fall just a hair less. Well, I, I would fall less optimistic than you, but uh, he, he he did show that he could get to the hoop and, and and finish for a smaller guard. He did that over some of did it better than some of Florida's bigger, more athletic guards. So um, it, it impressive for him. And uh, yeah, just uh, the one thing I will say, and again, I'm I'm not trying to say anything negative about his his character or anything. But my what I was hearing from the staff is I think that when people like like I thought this, I think you thought this, Neil. I think a whole lot of people thought this that when Florida takes a guard that didn't have many offers and was not looking like he was going to be a division one player and Florida gives him a scholarship. 
I, I think the idea is that, oh yeah, here's a player that's going to be happy to not play for a couple of years, uh, grow and develop. And I heard that maybe that actually wasn't the case and he wasn't particularly content to not be a key player. So that would have maybe gone against perception a little bit. And uh, for that reason, that's kind of why, like, like, again, I, I think it still could have worked out at Florida if he was that kind of player that was content to not be, have a bigger role until, you know, year three or year four. Um, and that's just, apparently that's not what he wanted. And again, that that's fair. I mean, I am someone who I've said on the podcast, I'm in full favor of these players being able to transfer. I hope the one-time transfer rule goes in and these players are able to move freely. I, I think that that should be their right. So uh, I'm happy that, that Quez Glover can go and get, find what he wants. And, uh, but yeah, I, I don't think what he wants is, is was to, to hang around at Florida and, and maybe be a contributor later in his career. He wants to play now. And maybe that's not what we would have expected from someone in his, in the position he was in Florida offered, but I think it's just the reality. Did the early success he had the very good Charleston classic, for example, did all of that maybe do him a little bit of disservice? Like he didn't come in and struggle immediately. It wasn't really until, like a four turnover game against Utah state when you started to go, Oh wait, it's not all going to come so easy for him. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, I not knowing him personally, I, I can't say for sure, but I wonder, cause I mean, again, he also played next to a guy in, in, in Trey man who had some rough moments to start and Quez Glover had some games where he was in off the bench before Trey man. And now he's looking at Trey man. Who's going to be a first round NBA pick. Maybe he's like, Hey, there was a stretch for a couple of weeks where I got in off the bench before this guy. Uh, I don't know. Maybe um, again, not, not knowing him personally, I, I can't say for sure, but uh, it's a great point. I hadn't thought about it that way. So the last one, uh, because you know, it's as Dave waters, our buddy Gator Dave says, there's never a dull moment in Gator nation. Um, Jordan Mincy is going to be a head coach. He's going to Jacksonville. Did you know Jacksonville has been to a Final Four? Um, I only I, – I, I had absolutely no idea except when I was uh, looking at their Wikipedia page after Jordan Mincy got hired there. So I was pretty shocked when I – I think it might have been like their first – because I it was one of those things where I was like on Wikipedia, you can see like, you know, first NCAA tournament appearance, first round of 32 – first sweet 16 for and i was like and it was like all the same year i think so uh yeah i think they got a busted on the scene and made a final four but that is the extent of my knowledge so uh no i did not know that until the other day well uh, thank you wikipedia <laughs> it's pretty amazing I, I would say that they have not been to the ncaa tournament um since 1986 uh, having also checked their wikipedia page um the it's a program that many people think could be a lot better than it is if the administration cared because you Jacksonville is not a bad city for basketball talent. Um, there's always been pretty good players there, whether it's at the prep schools or at the public schools. I mean, even in the last few years, you've had players like Alex Fudge, um, Pat Young, uh, everybody's favorite Duke player, Grayson Allen, all from Jacksonville. Um, so, you know, not saying any of those guys were ever going to go to JU, but the point is that there's talent in that city. Um, and there just has been kind of a lack of, of administrative support. They did have a big donor give a bunch of money a couple years ago. I, I looked into this to kind of uh, see if they could start the program and build it up. And Tony Jasek wasn't getting it done. So they go to Jordan Mincy, a guy with a reputation as a, as a good talent evaluator and as a, a uh, really good developer of talent. I know some of the listeners may wonder about uh, 
the developer of talent take, but certainly uh, I'm really happy for Jordan Mincy. He's been with Mike quite a long time and, and he earned this and he, I think earned his reputation as one of the better assistant coaches uh, in the country. And I'm always happy to see um, young, talented black men get head coaching opportunities at any level. Absolutely. And uh, for, for that reason, I really hope that Darius Nichols gets his name called next. Um, I think with Jacksonville too, like, well, like Jordan Mincy had his name kind of like popping around some, some other coaching searches, both this year and, and the year prior, uh, where, you know, I, I would say that like, you know, I maybe shouldn't say this as a matter of fact, I don't know for sure, but a lot of programs that I would assume would be better jobs than Jacksonville, at least on the surface. So for him to be very keen to take the Jacksonville job, um, by all accounts, um, he must, he must know something about, um, why it's a good fit. Um, maybe it's the one he, he knew he could get for sure. Uh, because Hey, that's a hell of a hire for, for Jacksonville. Let's, let's be honest here. Uh, because again, Jordan Mincy's name has been in a lot other of other coaching searches at bigger programs. I mean, there's a bunch of people, if you just, you know, Twitter search his name at college of Charleston that were, uh, trying to get Jordan Mincy to, uh, them to consider Jordan Mincy. So, so anyways, I think there's gotta be something like you said about maybe institutional, something changing that, uh, uh, Mincy feels, feels confident about by man, I will be following, uh, following Jacksonville, uh, basketball, go, uh, go dolphins. I think that's the, that's the team. Um, you got it. You got oh, there it. You go. go dolphins. Yeah. They have a new fan in me. It's the third, uh, branch of the Mike white coaching tree, which is, that's a reasonably sized coaching tree at 44. Uh, but we now have Wichita state FAU and, uh, Jacksonville university as Mike White coaching tree destinations. Um, and we should point out that Dusty May's team uh, was a jump shot from the um, semis of the Conference USA tournament. So I think uh, things are starting to slowly look up. They've got a really nice young core. They have a guard. Um, I can't remember his first name, but the kid Forrest is a very good guard. They have Keenan Blackshear. Uh, some of you may be familiar with his older brother. Um, and anyway, a nice trio of sophomores, um, and they finished the year down in Boca winning eight of their last 10 games. So I'm almost ready to pull the trigger on, uh, on season tickets. Cause it's such a shorter drive for me than Gainesville, Eric, <laughs> man, I've got to say, uh, I think Boca is like the most beautiful city I've ever like. I, I just, I think Boca is just beautiful. I was there with our, you know, our friend, Matt Wolf a couple of years ago. Um, and we, you know, drove by the Florida Atlantic campus and I was like, yeah, this is uh, this is living right here for this Canadian to see, uh, to see a beautifully manicured uh, city of Boca. I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is life. So I hope he gets it going there. But um, you know, you said, you said David Waters uh, name and uh, it does remind me that uh, before the season, we did something that I very much ripped off of the Gators Breakdown podcast that they do uh, uh, superlatives. So Neil, um, I told you I wanted to do this, uh, wrap this up quickly. Uh, our posts are lo looking back at our preseason predictions, see who did better, uh, see who is way off. Um, so I'm going to do this pretty quick, I feel. We don't need to make this too long because, uh, let's be honest, a bunch of our picks were really screwed up by some of the situations that happened. So uh, I'll go through it pretty quick, and I'll tell you the final score um, about uh, uh, who had the better predictions, which, um, Neil, I don't even know how many of these you'll you'll remember what you said, but um, I did take keep track, so uh, you'll, be able, you'll be able to find out. Um, I've got to say, odds maker Eric Fawcett was just had an absolutely fantastic uh, odds on on the first question I asked. It was how many games is uh, Florida going to play this year? 
I set uh, so Florida. So Florida ended up playing 25. I had the over under set at 24.5. I took the under. You took the over. You were correct. That one goes to you. Florida's possession length. I set the over under at 75. We both set over. They were 89th. So pretty good by us. Um, uh, we said, uh, are they going to be better or worse um, than 20th in defensive efficiency? Of course, they were. We both said they were going to be worse. They were way worse. They were 42nd. Are they going to be? Um, um, are they going to be uh, uh, better or worse than 17th in adjusted offensive efficiency? We both said worse. They were 45th. That was rough. Um, Keontae Johnson, All-American, over under second team. That question is redacted. Um, Scott, Scott, this this is one. Odds maker Eric Fawcett was nowhere close on this one. Scotty Lewis, three-point percentage. I said the over-under was 37% because there was all the buzz that he was uh, getting better as a shooter, and he shot 36.1. We both said it was going to be worse. He was 31.8. Florida SEC finish. I said the over-under was third. You pushed. I said they were going to be better and finish second. They, of course, did not do that. Um, this is another one we were pretty off on. Uh, I set the uh, over under for winning percentage at 70%. We both said better, which would be uh, 22 and nine or roughly at, at a regular season pace. They had a winning percentage of 60%. Uh, we both said, are they going to, are we going to have a better or worse tournament seed than, than 4.5? Uh, we both said they were going to have a worse seed. So we were both correct there. Um, here's one that we, we split on. Uh, Florida three-pointers made per game over under was 7.1. You said they were going to hit more. I said they were going to hit less. They ended up hitting 6.8. So uh, well under. Um, and then uh, here's a couple other ones. Um, who's going to be the freshman that plays most? You said Niles Lane. I said Samson Rusensev. 147 minutes for Rusensev, 81 for Lane. We'll revisit this one next year. Um, but I got um, here's one that uh, I was pretty off on, and uh, Keontae Johnson did uh, throw the throw a, a unfortunately messed up this one. It was who's Florida's second leading scorer going to be? I said Tyree Appleby. Uh, you said Trey Mann. So if you look at actual you know per game averages, you're correct uh, because Keontae Johnson's still technically number one. So so I'll give you that one. Um, <laughs> then uh, will Florida beat Florida State? Question is redacted. <laughs> um, who will lead the Gators in assist to turnover ratio? Uh, we both said Tyree Appleby. Trey Mann just edged him out 1.25 to 1.17. Um, and then what round of the NCAA tournament to the Gators make it to? We both said Sweet 16. We were pretty close. So uh, we actually ended up tying, Neil. We both had the same number of correct answers. So we'll call it a draw. Um, however, um, there's one more question that I thought this was going to be interesting to discuss. Um I, I, I know we're both wrong um, for different reasons. Well, you're, you're not actually wrong. I know I'm wrong. Um, but I did ask who will be Florida's defensive player of the year. You said Keontae Johnson. I said Omar Payne. I know it's not Omar Payne, but I am interested, Neil, and this is a question I wanted to ask you. Who do you think Florida's defensive player of the year was this season? So I was actually thinking about this in the context of um, – just and I haven't done nearly the work that I'm sure Eric is going to do on this, guys. And I know that that will surprise no one. <laughs> um, but you know, I was kind of looking at this like money, money ball ways to replace Trey Man, and just how do we? It's really just about how do you recreate that production. Um, and one thing I was worried about was defense because I think I I seriously think Trey Man was Florida's best defender. Um, and I say that because Niles Lane played 81 minutes, so he's disqualified. 
Yeah, he did not reach this the uh, the, the allotted minutes, unfortunately. Trey Mann, I think you can 100% make the argument. His numbers are really good. I think that um, uh, the fact that, again, maybe there were some guards that got loose against him a little bit would make people think, oh, maybe he's wasn't the best uh, defensive player. But, I mean, when you look at it, it was a whole lot of scoring on Scotty Lewis. It was a whole lot of scoring on Tyree Appleby. It was a whole lot of scoring on, on Noah Luck. His individual numbers are actually really good. I was actually close. I, I didn't think that it was like – I don't know. I was going to say tasteful. It's probably not the word I, I'm actually looking for, but I didn't think it was tasteful to put out this article, but I was, I was close to putting something out after the oil Roberts loss about kind of who is at fault for a bunch of the Max Aismas and Kevin O'Banner buckets. And uh, man, Trey Mann grades out very, very well. I thought he played a very good defensive game in that one. And there was a bunch of other guys that unfortunately didn't. So I was, you know, my gut, I didn't put too much thought into it. My gut is maybe Colin Castleton just with his rim protection numbers, but at the same time, I mean, he was part of a pick and roll defense that wasn't very good. Um, even though I don't think that that was his fault. <laughs> so, so I mean, Trey Mann is a Trey Mann is is a very fair answer. I'll I'll give you that one. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, none of us none of us were able to get that one right. But uh, yeah, that wraps up our. Uh, our preseason predictions, I thought they were going to be very fun to revisit. Um, a lot of them um, just didn't end up uh, end up happening. So uh, we might have to do this uh, do this again next year. But, uh, Neil, I say it's a well, well-fought draw that we had in our, our first year of, of technically making predictions like this. Yeah, no, I hope we do this again uh, next season. I thought it was really fun, and uh, I'm uh, surprised that, that it ended up being uh, a draw and yet not even remotely that surprised. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a couple interesting things. I mean, we haven't had the full uh, Mike White exit press conference yet, which is a little unusual. Um, but I think some of that has to do with he probably is waiting for all the decisions to be made. I think the one that that everybody, you know, I don't know if everybody, I guess some people may assume it's already been made, and I can tell you that it has not, is Scotty Lewis. Uh, you know, I don't know if what necessarily Scotty's waiting on. I will t- say that as we record this on Friday night, Scotty posted an Instagram video wherein he explained that his phone had been hacked and that he was not had didn't have access to his social accounts for a couple days. So had he made a decision, he wouldn't have been able to post about anything. Um, I can tell you that my expectation on Scotty Lewis is that he will hire an an NCAA approved agent uh, and test the waters with the NCAA approved agent. Um, I do not think he will transfer. I think he will either come back to Florida uh, or uh, go to the pros. Um, So I'll just leave it at that. And I don't know if you have any thoughts on it, Eric. Yeah, nothing particularly. Um, Again, I, I, I'm just, it's just it'll be interesting to see if he decides he wants to just uh like i i don't think he has any chance of getting drafted really um but that doesn't mean some teams not going to give him a chance on their their g league team and and maybe that's what he wants and and to start that grind and uh again it's not it's not up to i know there's so many people who just love to make um love to give hard and fast decisions on whether or not a player going pro is is a good idea or not and just often it's it's not black and white. It's it's somewhere in the middle. I mean, I said that Trey Mann should absolutely go, and um, yeah, I, so I'm kind of contradicting myself. But hey, if he said, uh, you know what, I love being in college and being at home in Gainesville more than anything, then hey, staying would be the right decision. Um, but I think on the surface for Trey Mann, it was definitely like, a, yeah, you've got to go, man. So good for him. But uh, with Lewis, it's it's just all about hey, do you do you like your life and 
going to being at the University of Florida and playing college basketball? Um, or would you think you'd like your life going through the, the G League a little bit more? Um, that's kind of up to him, but I have no no insight there. So, uh, But what you're saying totally makes sense, and, and the rule's there for a reason for these players to be able to get an NCAA-approved agent and go through the process. So, um, yeah, why not do it? Yeah, and, and the insight I do have onto Lewis on that front is that he does love the University of Florida, like, but he loves – sometimes I wonder – if he loves the student at the University of Florida part more than he likes the basketball at the University of Florida. Um, and, you know, I think that's something he's got to explore and have conversations with his, his group of, of uh, people, his family and, and the close people that support him. I know the Klatskys and him are very close. I mean, I'm sure everybody's going to sit down and, and talk to Scotty and give him feedback. And, uh, but I don't think it's going to be, you know, a Khalil Whitney type situation where he just falls off the face of the earth. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't see any of that happening. Um, I know we saw Brian Antoine, a, another player that he's close to uh, Scotty start to come on late at Villanova. Obviously they're both in their second year, but there's still growth for Scotty in college basketball. I think if he wants to, um, and at this point, to be honest, in the eyes of NBA scouts, I'm not sure there's a huge difference between, him leaving at 21 or him leaving at 22, Eric, you're, you're more qualified to talk about that than me, but it's not, it, there's a, seems to be a big difference between 20 and 21 and 21 and 22 for some reason. I, yeah, I totally agree. And uh, I, again, I think you're even seeing teams now that are looking to be more like, like, again, the idea of like a couple of years ago, you just saw teams wanted to draft these like super young players that are 18 or 19 and have a bunch of potential. But the thing is in the NBA nowadays is if you draft a guy who's 19 years old um, and then, uh, you know, it takes him three years to develop. Well, in three years, he's not going to be on your team anymore. You just see so much player movement that the idea of like get a young guy who you're going to develop for three years, it's like, well, you might do all the development um, in Dallas for him to go and ball out for Portland, you know, like, so I think teams are going to look at more and you're seeing it already. Teams are looking at more, Hey, what can a guy give me? Maybe not, maybe not now but like definitely like the second year it's not like what it used to be when teams were just like pedigree pedigree potential athletic gifts like they they, they want to know that they have a little bit more polish now so uh yeah i think uh if he decides to come back to florida um i think that there's you know that that would be his, his better chance probably at um at at getting to his ultimate goal of being in the nba but there is pl- plenty of routes to get there so uh yeah he's definitely going to be the most interesting one to watch Yep. The other interesting one, and Malik Grady has brought this up, so I'm going to put you on the spot on it, is Al Pinkins. You know, there are some – there was an interesting kind of throwaway sentence in a Chris Harry piece yesterday that more staff changes could be coming, um, which I think everybody kind of zeroed in on Al Pinkins because we don't know of Darius Nichols interviewing for any jobs, and we know from – sources that Darius was in on all the exit interviews, uh, you know, what would your thoughts on that be? Because like, obviously Osifo was kind of a handpicked Pinkins project, but also Al showed up three seasons ago. And I think the flip side of it is Eric is that Florida's had an all SEC big every year that Pinkins has been at UF. Yeah, I mean, I've obviously talked uh, a number of times about how I think the role of coaching is a little bit overrated um, when it comes to player development. I think for, you know, Kavarius Hayes to, in his fourth year, uh, you know, just kind of continue. He got a little bit, like, to me, I look at Kavarius Hayes and like, yeah, he 
had a really good last year, but it was also like, well, he got a little bit better every year and then had a great senior year. And I see Colin Castleton, who I thought, like, again, like I wrote before he came to Florida that I thought he was, he played really well in the minutes he got. He just didn't get, get that many minutes. He comes to Florida, he gets more minutes. He's doing exactly what he did in a small number of minutes, just more. So he's getting more opportunity. Again, I'm not trying to take away from Florida's role. I, I mean, or maybe I am, but I, I, I just don't see this as, yeah, I, I don't know. I just wouldn't use that as, as a huge like defense of, of their big man coach. Right. Um, if if the story about Osayo Sifo is is true, um, yeah, I, I definitely think that that's a, a huge error, like a, a huge error of judgment that just had so many so many fl- red flags that it was not going to go well, and very few you know green ones. Like I just I I that was just such such a mismise. Not like a that's not that that's like a fireable offense or something, but like, uh, man, I don't know. You can look at some of the other targets that he was recruiting that didn't end up coming to Florida that are playing pretty well other places. Um, that's pretty interesting. I mean, he was someone who had a whole bunch of the, uh, the Texas players that Florida was recruiting at the time. Um, none of those players have come to Florida. Um, I think that that's interesting, but here is my hottest take Neil about the sport of college basketball moving forward. I alluded to this, I think after the, Maybe it was after the Oral Roberts game, but just to lay it out here, like this is my this is my take on college basketball that moving forward, I, I really think the one time transfer rule is going to make it that the high that the high major level of basketball. I think the talent is going to be a lot more level. I think that coaches that are recruiters first that could bring talent um, and and have these teams that are just going to overwhelm other teams of talent. That's just not going to be the case anymore. And we started to see it this year where some teams that are not traditional powers in their leagues were bringing in transfers and getting old and just dummying all these teams that had high four stars and five stars. And I think now that everyone's in the portal and I like everyone is going to be old and everyone is going to be experienced and everyone is going to be talented. So I, I really think now like you need someone who can coach, like you need a staff that can coach because there, there, there's not going to be a staff that just out recruit. We, we just saw Texas go down. We're like, we, we, we've seen Memphis not be able to get anything going. Like you're already seeing it. And I just think that's going to be the case even more going forward where you, you've got to be able to coach because there's not going to be a level of recruiting where you just absolutely overwhelm teams. So it, again, I know that when they brought in Al Pinkins, it was someone like, hey, we want you to recruit this area pretty hard. Well, one, Florida hasn't really gotten recruits from that area. The one recruit that seemed to be handpicked was a disaster, really. Uh, maybe that's harsh. But again, just I will say it once again. I just think from a mile away, you could have seen that this wasn't going to work. Um, if that is all on Al Pinkins and you saw him as a recruiter first, I know some people see him as the big man developer first. Well, like m- maybe if that's the case. But like, man, I just... Again, I think everything right now, I, I'm not saying recruiting doesn't matter. I mean, you still got to recruit transfers, uh, but it, it's going to, it's, it's, it's going to be, the, it's going to be a case where I think that again, talent is going to be so level between, between teams at the high major level because of everyone's going to have all these low major and mid major up transfers. You've got to do whatever possible to out coach guys to go to uh, the, the, the teams that don't have good coaching that don't have good scouting, like they're going to be exposed. So, Whatever Mike White needs to do to have the best prepared, best scouted, best coached team, that's what he's got to do for his staff. So uh, that's something he's got to really look at. Um, I think that, yeah, he's his loyalty to, to Darius Nichols, who I also think is a really bright guy. Um, it would be really shocking if they were to move on from him, I would think. So, yeah, I, I, looking at that quote that Malik pointed out, um, I'd have to think that uh, Pinkins makes the most sense as someone who might move on. Yeah, I mean, look, and and – I think it, that you really laid out the case. Uh, 
pretty effectively. Um, and look, if you look at the all-conference bigs, I mean, you're totally right. I mean, Kavarius Hayes, five-year guy. It's not, you know, fifth year on campus, redshirted under Billy Donovan. Um, Kerry Blackshear, all ACC under Buzz Williams when he got to Florida. Uh, so and I'm not totally sure what Al Pinkins was going to be able to do for him that, you know, wasn't already part of his game. You could give him credit for Colin Castleton. I know Colin Castleton has in interviews. Um, but at the same time, you know, how much progress did you really see from Omar Payne this season? Mm. Uh, you know, how much progress did you see from Jason Detobo, a guy who has a ton of offensive skill, I think, somewhere in his body, but uh, can't get himself into physical shape. So it's hard to coach a guy like that. Um, you know, so <laughs> you can make you can make arguments about the development side too. Is all the only point I'm making. Well, I mean, and, and like I, not trying to be rude, but you can extend it to everyone in the front court. Osayo Sifo. Um, I mean, he was exactly who I thought he was coming out of junior college. Uh, but that's again, that's what he was. He was what he was in junior college. Um, Anthony Derugi. I was quite frankly a little bit disappointed by Anthony Derugi this season. I thought he was still, you know, a, a capable player. There's no question. Uh, but he was not as good as he looked to be coming out of Louisiana Tech, and he had a redshirt year. So, yeah. Anyways, if um, if he truly is like the czar of the front court and the total, um, you know, he's responsible for the front court. I don't think the front court has been a shining star. I, I guess. Uh, particularly when it comes to like their talent versus how they performed. So um, yeah, again, we, it, it's so hard to, it's so hard to quantify exactly what assistant coaches do, but uh, yeah, but from what we do know and what's been said, yeah. Yeah. I think that there, there would, there would be some reason to, to look at, uh, look at that spot. Yep. I think there would uh, quickly running through what we do know about the roster. Tyree Appleby uh, tweeted that he will return Colin Castleton Instagram post that he will return. Um, not that either of those things should be shocking. We haven't heard anything from Anthony DeRuji. I think that one can assume that he'll return. He, We did see uh, there were some people that sent me a screenshot of, of Keontae Davis – or Keontae Davis. Keontae Johnson's Instagram saying coming soon uh, with a picture of Zach Tech Arena behind him. Um, and got really excited about that. And there were a bunch of Gator teammates that had fire emojis that they posted. Um, you know, we can all be really hopeful about that, I guess. I, you know, who knows? Um, we'll see. Uh, Niles Lane has told the staff that he would like to come back, and the staff has said that's terrific. Hopefully that translates into more minutes when you talk about a player who took advantage of the minutes he got. Certainly Niles Lane did on one side of the floor. Samson Resensev will return. Uh, so they there are some pieces coming back despite all this attrition. <laughs> yeah, and of course, man, we've been like guys. It was like 2018 when I first uh, interviewed Quasi Reeves, and I'm just so excited to see him on campus. And I was I was talking to to Quasi Senior, who I just love. Um, I love all the, the Gator parents. Like, I mean, I shout out to them, and uh, I yes. love talking all, to the game with all of them. I know that uh, Neil, you talk to a bunch of them. Uh, they're all awesome, which uh, makes me think that uh, the players have to be awesome too, just knowing some of the parents. But anyways, Quasi Senior, uh, just awesome guy. Love talking ball with him. And anyways, he just says that Quasi uh, is just just itching to get on campus. And uh, he said for a while that uh, the first the first day he's going to get on campus, um, uh, or the first day he's going to be able to get on campus, he's going to be there. 
So uh, it looks like that might be June right now. But uh, if it was any earlier, uh, that's when Kwesi is going to be there. Um, I, uh, he also said that, uh, yeah, when that happens, he's probably off social medias doing all that. He's just locked in. Um, his dad says, yeah, he's in the gym every single day. Uh, and I said, uh, wow, me and Neil better get him on the podcast before he goes totally dark. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have that done uh, some here, sometime here soon, Neil, before he just goes total like LeBron dark mode and, uh, and locks <laughs> in. But, but yeah, I'm excited for him. And uh, yeah, I mean, maybe a conversation for another podcast when we uh, see even more names that Florida's reached out to. But man, there is talent everywhere in the portal. So it's just kind of like, you know, we can start, people are asking me what's Florida's starting lineup going to be next year. I mean, I can, I can guess, I guess, but uh, yeah, there's, yeah. There's, with the names in the transfer portal, it just seems like, you know, why, why totally spend the time yet? Uh, talk about their, the returning players and what they bring, but yeah, it's uh, there's going to be some spots for, for transfers. So uh, plenty of, plenty of opportunity between the guys you said to return um, and, and the transfer portal for, for Florida to field what's a, what could be a really good team. Yeah, and I, you know, I didn't. Uh, I did, I told people this would be a first part of our season review shows because I knew that we would need a whole episode for the portal. So, oh yeah, <laughs> uh, I promise you all that that season review show too will be for the portal. This was, in theory, the season in review, and there was so much uh, that went on this week in this new world that we're living in. Um, that I thought we kind of needed to get into that. So here we're going to have a little fun. I know Eric ran through some of the things we did. Uh, we're going to have a little fun to close the show tonight. Um, it, you know, and maybe some less fun, uh, obviously, with, with some of the things that we got to talk about. But we'll start with uh, Eric. What do you? What was the best moment of this season for you? The best moments of the season? I will say the best moments of the season. I, I, I oh, um, I, I'm going to say when they beat uh, when they beat West Virginia. I think the vibes after that game were probably the best. There's probably a better answer to this, um, but at the time, coming off you know beating Tennessee, then obviously they won a couple of games that you know against against Georgia and Vanderbilt that weren't great. But you know, put a couple wins together, and then it was like okay, let's let's play a really good team. Um, West Virginia and for, for them to come away with a win. Um, that's probably the best I was feeling all season. I'll say. Oh, I think that's a good answer. Um, so I'm going to go with, with the comeback over Virginia tech. Uh, I think it edges out um, just as the best moment. I, I, for the next, I was going to ask biggest win at a later point, And I still think it's definitely at West Virginia, uh, the win over LSU given everything that was going on was a great moment as well. Um, but I think this, this comeback against Virginia tech to me was the best because Florida appeared to be getting schematically just taken to school um, in the first half. And as we saw with this team constantly uh, this season, when you thought they were out, they weren't out. Um, certainly they didn't always handle success the best. Uh, but they fought to the end so many times and, and uh, the Virginia tech game to, to gut out that win. Um, I mean, even when they gave up a shot to go to overtime and a lot of teams might've crumbled in the overtime and Florida had the mental fortitude to, to win the game. So I'm going to go with that. one. Yeah, that's a, that's a great answer for sure. Uh, you know, there, there is a couple ones you could have gone with, but I think that that definitely makes sense. <laughs> it's totally fair for you to go with that one. Um, so we'll do biggest win. I think I said West Virginia. What are you going to differ in that, or are you going to tie uh, best win with best moment? <laughs> uh, I, I, I've got to say the NCAA tournament win. 
uh, beating Virginia Tech. Um, I just think, like, again, like, did it super move the needle on on Florida season um, and people's perspective of it? Probably not really, but but a loss there would have been would have been pretty poor. And I think just again kicking off the NCAA tournament, maybe it was just because I was just so happy we had an NCAA tournament. I'm so glad that the Gators made it this far, that the season the college basketball made it that far. Um, but I think that I'll t- I'll take that as best way. All right, so let's do worst non Keontae Johnson almost dying on the floor moment. Oh, the worst moment. Um, Obviously, Keontae doesn't count. Like we're not. Of course, yeah. Um, <laughs> like you don't even ask the question. Yeah, got it. I'm going to say the worst. The worst moment for me was against Oral Roberts when um, I'm trying to think of the exact play, the exact minute. Maybe it was like when it was like 67 to 62, Florida, or something like in that range, where there was just every part of me that thought that Florida was about to blow the lead for the, the, the blow the rest of the lead and lose. I think that was, uh, that was the, the worst, uh, the worst non Keontae Johnson moment for it, for me. Yeah, I, I can't even disagree. I thought, uh, when, when Scotty Lewis got caught midair and was a pretzel and threw the ball right to Carlos Jurgens. Oh, um, that was the worst moment for me. Cause that was when I was certain that Florida would lose. And by the way, Having seen it on replay, I actually agree with uh, Jason Franzen, um, one of the people that occasionally tweets at the show and coaches basketball. Like, there's no question in my mind that pursuing that ball, Tyree Appleby was fouled. There's also a zero percent chance that gets called in the NCAA tournament against Cinderella. <laughs> <laughs> no, you 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 nailed the play. That's that is my play. I'm going with you. We're, we have the same answer. That turnover. <laughs> yeah, that that turnover was so bad. And it was funny because, like, when it happened, I didn't notice the foul because there was too much despair. Mm. Uh, it, it wasn't until a couple days later when I saw the replay and I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, Appleby got his legs taken out from under him trying to get to the ball and should have been at the free throw line. But, um, you know, just absolute ridiculousness. And, of course, if Scotty Lewis doesn't make such a mind-numbing play – then we don't even have to worry about Tyree Appleby uh, getting pushed down. So just that was the moment when I thought they were going to lose, and and they ultimately did. Um, worst loss, are you going Oral Roberts in the second round? Just because I really do think for a lot of the fan base, not everybody, an, a Sweet 16 would have really changed the narrative with this team. Um, you know, if they played tomorrow and lost Arkansas, I still think a lot of people would have felt differently than they do today. Um, what are you going with for worst loss? Um, that so that would be an acceptable answer um, for sure. I am taking again. This might be a little bit like weird and just like the way my brain works. Uh, when they lost to Tennessee in the SEC tournament, and it was just like the third week where I thought that they were lacking any level of adjustments and going into game going into games with game plan it was kind of like like again it wasn't like that loss where they were undermanned was the worst loss on its own but it was just after they had barely gotten by Vanderbilt after they had gotten beat by you know Missouri Tennessee didn't play super well against against Kentucky like it was just like the culmination of of a run of basketball that I thought was not great for the Gators so in a vacuum, no, that game was not the worst loss, but I'm going to say that worst loss as a microcosm of those two weeks there. So uh, I already mentioned my 
my uh, best man at my wedding, Sean McKean's comment about the Oral Roberts game. And, and I think that deserves a second shout out uh, this week. But my worst loss is South Carolina, and I use it to make a larger point. Um, if there is one thing, and I think there are a few things that Mike White needs to fix, and we mentioned one of them uh, on the last show that's offense. But, uh, you know, I've seen some people indicting the culture at Florida for all these transfers, and I'm telling you that that's just part of college basketball right now. Uh, and I don't think that anyone who really watched this season with some level of fairness would, would criticize Florida's culture. I think that's the last thing that is a problem at Florida, actually. But um, I do think home floor culture is a problem. And when you get a ranking – after beating West Virginia. And as Eric pointed out, the vibes are so good. Uh, you cannot come off that first ranking and lose to a very bad South Carolina team that, you know, we mentioned was talented, but they were in shambles. They had had multiple COVID pauses. Anyone who saw Frank Martin on the sidelines saw that, I mean, he was sickly. And just looked terrible this year. He was a shell of himself to the point where a lot of people thought his athletic director was meeting with him to fire him, and me included, uh, after the season. And apparently the story from the state in Columbia was Ray Tanner just asked him if he was healthy enough to continue coaching or if he needed to take a sabbatical because he looked so bad. There's just no excuse for losing that game. Social distance uh, – fans or not. And Florida has to fix their home culture. Um, I think Eric, if they want to win a regular season championship under Mike White, and I will tell you this as great as it is to have the most NCAA tournament wins of any program in the SEC, other than Kentucky in the white tenure and two times as many as Tennessee, for example, I think a lot of people would get off Mike's back if he would hang a banner. And if he wants to hang a banner, which I'm sure he does, uh, he's got to do better at home. They have to play better as a culture at home. And um, a game like the South Carolina game, just that can't happen. And I mean, if you look at it just, you know, resume wise, that was, that was Florida's worst loss. So you could definitely make uh, make an argument. That was, that was the worst one. Totally fair. All right. I ranted on that one a long time. So go ahead and gush about the, the team's MVP this season. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I don't know if you could craft like something other than, and Trey man, I think you could, I think if I really wanted to, to argue, um, I think you could just say like Colin Castleton, just because of like the scarcity of really good centers, um, you could maybe craft an argument. Uh, but Matt, I mean, you said it earlier that Trey man was either Florida's best defensive player, or if at worst, maybe Florida's second best defensive player that got minutes, um, whether you put, you know, him or Con Castleton, somewhat, somewhat of one or two. So he was one of the best defensive players and he was fairly clearly the best offensive player. So when you're the best offensive player and arguably the best defensive player, uh, yeah, you're going to be the MVP. <laughs> it's uh, pretty simple, pretty simple. Yeah. I mean, that was the shorter rant as, as you're going to get on Florida basketball hour, but there's <laughs> really, not, there's not much more to say. Hometown hero. Uh, I think clearly the, the MVP of the program. And I will add this um, because these season review shows get as close to emotional as we get on FBH other than the post show. I think the university really needed Trey Mann um, this year. Like I've had conversations with professors uh, at UF that I have friends that still teach there. 
I've had conversations with uh, athletic coaches like Becky Burley, and the situation with Keontae was devastating to the university, not just the athletic department. I mean, people were really, really flattened by it, and that was Trey's brother, and and uh, Trey just put together a really memorable season, and I think it really lifted the spirits of, of everybody. So very clearly the MVP – uh, of the team, Eric, and maybe maybe like the, the you know winter sport MVP as well. Although shout out to all the incredible Lady Gator gymnasts who are going to try to win a national title here pretty soon. Um, moving on from that, we have uh, maybe a fun category to close the show. Give me a, a 2021 breakout star for the Florida Gators. Um. Neil, I just, I'll tell you, dude, I, I, I have a question for you after, so we can't close the show too quick, but uh, in terms of breakout, I, get, I, like I feel, uh, I am going to say, um, I, I think I might know who you're going to say, so I'm going to go someone different. I really thought, um, as I claimed from the fact that I thought he was going to play more minutes, I thought that Samson Rusensev was, was very, very good in high school. I thought he was very talented offensively. I thought he could do a lot more than shoot. Um, this season we saw that he, well, shot the ball really well for a couple of weeks and then just didn't shoot the ball well at all. Uh, but I think we kind of saw that he is a 40 plus percent three point shooter. That's, that's in him at six foot seven. I also thought we saw him handle the ball a little bit in high school. So yeah, definitely didn't have a, a great freshman year, but, um, at six foot seven shooting the ball, um, handling the ball, at least he did in high school. Um, I, I think that there's a lot there for Samson Rusensev and, uh, I'm hoping he breaks out. But uh, Neil, why don't you uh, you give your your pick? So, real quick on Resensive, he shot twenty eight point six percent from three point range, um, and you know not as nearly as many attempts as Trey Mann had the prior season. But I would point out that Trey Mann shot twenty seven point five percent and uh, was a had a lower offensive rating as a freshman than Sam Resensive. So when you get down on Sam Resensive, Gator Nation. Just remember that sometimes that year between 19 years and 20 uh, makes a huge deal. You know, I want to say Niles Lane. You know, I want to. <laughs> you know, I want to say Niles Lane because I think, I think he's the best defender on the roster, um, and you know, I think that the staff would be just nuts to not play him 20 minutes a night. And, and I also think he's a kid who. It's a guy that can get to the basket and is a secondary ball handler. And I think if you play him longer, he'll get confidence in his offensive game. Uh, you know, I think it's hard to ask a kid like Niles uh, to go in there and, you know, hey, you have to take that open three when you're playing two minutes a night and you come back and sit back down. Like those are tough shots for an 18 year old. Um, Niles was the youngest player on the team, by the way, uh, in age. So I think. Another kid that that really uh, could take a step forward. I'm not going to say him, uh, even though I really want to. Um, so I'm going to kind of cop out here and say it's going to be Quasi Reeves uh, will be the breakout star. It's been a while since Florida um, had a, a dominant freshman. Uh, Andrew Nimhard was quite good uh, as a freshman. Keontae Johnson had a double-double in the NCAA tournament as a freshman, but neither were all SEC players as a freshman. So it's been, it's been quite some time. You have to go all the way back to Kayvon Allen uh, to get a guy who 
was an all CC selection as a freshman. It's hard to believe that Kayvon was that good once upon a time, but he was. Um, and, and I'm going to go with that. I think Kwesi will be an all SEC player. Uh, I think he's the best shooter in the 2021 class. I don't even know. Is that like a hot take? I really don't think, like, I think that's a defensible take. Um, and by the way, there were people who thought this year's first team all SEC selection, Moses Mooney was the best shooter in the 2020 class. Um, I think Quincy is just as good a shooter. Uh, and I think he's grown into the big frame that he has in the last year. So uh, I just really think he's spectacular. Should have been a five-star player. Should have been a McDonald's All-American. I'm happy that he wasn't. Like Eric, I get the chance to hear from his dad every now and then. And I messaged him about how that's going to leave a chip on his shoulder. And all I got back was a smiley face emoji. So uh, I think he's going to be hungry and ready to get to campus. And I think he starts and, and becomes one of Florida's best players rather quickly. I do think he's awesome. I didn't know if he was eligible for, for breakout candidate just as like a, a five star. Um, so I will let the record show that I would have actually said Niles Lane, um, but I was going to leave him for you. But uh, no, I, I still stand by thinking that Samson Sensa makes a leap. But um, I, I, I do think Niles Lane and especially for a team that I can mean, we'll see what happens in the transfer portal. But but Florida needs ball handlers, um, at least as currently constituted. I do think they're going to shore up that position in the transfer portal, almost certainly. But uh, but still like. Uh, yeah, I, I, there's plenty of room for, for guys off outside of the point guard position that, that can handle the ball. Kwesi Reeves looks like one, but uh, Niles Lane could could uh, could be one like that. And uh, my one thing with Kwesi Reeves, not like not playing the highest caliber of, of high school ball all the time. Um, I don't think he had the opportunity to to play against guys that uh, were that or I mean, he had the opportunity. Not every day it was like it's just you know for a guy who's six foot seven and awesome. There's not a lot of other six foot seven guys who are awesome that he can compete with. So I don't know exactly how good of a defender I think he'll be out of the gates. Obviously, he has a lot of physical tools, um, but uh, but man, yeah, Florida's going to need wing defenders. So so I do really like Niles Lane there. But uh, uh, man, just very excited for for Kwesi Reeves though though definitely. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. And so I'll let you uh, ask the final question to close the show. Yeah, this is a hopefully a fitting final question. Um, I'm going to give you this caveat, Neil. You can cop out of this question because it is a question that I have pondered for like two days now and have no answer um, for it. So if it was asked to me, I might cop out. So you have that right as well. But, uh, you know, like, let's be real here. There are a whole lot of fans that are very, very out on Florida basketball right now. Um, we can argue whether that's fair. We can argue the extent of how much it's fair or not fair. But it's the fact of the matter. There are a lot of people that um, are pretty out on Florida basketball right now. So my question to you is, what is a tangible thing that Florida could do in this offseason that would, I'm not saying win back all of these fans, but would move the needle in a positive direction for people who are out on Mike White or out on Florida basketball? That is, that is my question. I've been pondering it for a couple of days now. I kind of thought it to myself. I've kept thinking about it to myself. I don't know if I have a great answer. So I thought I'd throw it to you, who is uh, maybe a more of a wealth of knowledge here. Well, I appreciate that. I, look, I think some of some of these fans are not going to be satisfied until there's a head coach change made. Uh, they've made it very clear that that's the case, whether uh, they do it on Twitter, whether they record hour and a half long podcasts that they drop, uh, wherein they suggest that, you know, they think Mike White is a nice human being, but not a good college basketball coach. Um, 
you know, so there that that faction I don't think can be satisfied. Uh, to those that are in the middle or leaning towards change being made, but also recognize that you know this season was particularly difficult, uh, and that you know for all the criticism, the wheels have certainly never come off. Um, I think the most tangible thing they can do is is what a lot of people outside the program, including you and me, think they need to do, which is they, they need to hire someone to fix the offense. Um, that would be, you know, the most tangible thing. Now, there's no guarantee that that hire moves the needle, right? Like you could hire a person and not many people are going to have heard of that person, it, you know, in a lot of those circumstances. And it's just going to be like, well, he's the offensive guy. And then so people are going to be waiting to see. I'm not sure that that necessarily draws them back in. So the other possibility is hiring someone like Eddie Shannon or, or bringing back a former Gator into the program. Um, I know there's a couple in coaching, including Eddie, um, maybe bringing somebody back with Donovan ties outside of the great Dave Warner and the great Preston green, um, you know, kind of maybe that would give, uh, the program a little bit of juice uh, that I think that they need. I mean, like, like I said, um, let me say the easiest answer would have just been to win the damn Oral Roberts game. <laughs> I mean, and that's, I tweeted the morning of that game that I thought it was a very big game for Florida's program. And I think that's what made the loss so hard to swallow. Um, not just the Florida led the game for 30 minutes and seemed so in control of it, but that, Again, I mean, some people would not have been satisfied with the Sweet 16, including the same people that recorded hour and a half long podcast. But um, most folks with some level of reason would have been like, you know, to get to the Sweet 16 after everything that happened is really impressive. Instead, it's a sour case. I mean, it's they lost to a 15 seed in a game that they shouldn't have lost. Uh, so I think it's a tall task. For Michael White, from an administrative standpoint, I think that there is some merit to the uh, – I'm trying to give you the best, most comprehensive answer I have here and apologize yeah. to listeners for the end-of-show rant. But I th- I think from an administrative standpoint, there's something to be said for – you know, I talk about home floor culture. Well, the fans have to bring that too. And I'm not sure that the center court club with the big buffet has helped much. Um you know, so I think they need to figure out what they want to do from a seating perspective. Um, if there is anything they can do, whether they want to bring the band back down low or something uh, to get the noise going in there again, because it has not been quite the same since the renovation. And I don't think that's just about it not being Billy's team um, anymore. That's a great answer. And I think we'll obviously come to, you know, we're the off season here. We're going to get pretty into the weeds. I think when it comes to um, fractional ways that the, that the program can, can build and be better. And yeah, it, it'll be interesting when, when Florida um, fills the Jordan Mincy position, if it's someone that, you know, Neil, you and me are, are really satisfied with and someone we like, it's probably going to be like the, our job, you and me to help tell people a little bit about their story. Cause it can be tough to, yeah, to quantify assistant coaches. But I mean, man, like, for for you know 
whether it's fair or not fair or somewhat fair or somewhat not fair, there, there are obviously a lot of fans who are um, very angry and, and, you know, in my personal opinion, apathetic, which is worse than, than anger. That, that, that would be my opinion. I mean, again, like as long as there's people that are, you know, screaming angrily about Florida basketball, uh, it at least means they, they care. And, and I, I even remember again, back in like whatever Billy Donovan's last year, where it just seemed like complete apathy had said, had, had set in on that season. And I was like, man, to see like Twitter dry and message boards dry. And I went to my first basketball game that year and there was 3000 people in the O-Dome. Um, that level of apathy is like that scares me more than than people yelling angrily to be honest with you. So so again, I mean right or wrong, I the the fact is yeah, there's a lot of people that are upset and I have just been thinking about like how could like how could those those fans see something that that thinks oh we think things are headed in a better direction and and perhaps the answer like you said for some is is nothing but uh it's definitely something that that I'm I'm I've been thinking about how can Florida um yeah, what 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 is something that they could possibly do that would make a fan who says like you know what I'm I'm I might be out on the, the current situation. Um, but I like that move and, and, and I think they're moving in the right direction and, and maybe I, I care a little bit more. I don't know. That's uh, something I'm going to keep thinking about and I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll talk about it in some, some capacities. We both think about it over the next few months. We sure will. Uh, what we'll also be doing is diving into the transfer portal when the season in review shows continue uh, part two next week, the portal, uh, maybe Florida will have a, have a commitment by then. I don't know. There's a, th- 987 names to choose from as we sign uh, off. I will say one one final thing is one Florida transfer or one one sorry one Florida target Jared West from Marshall who I think a, a few of us really really like. Uh, he said he's going to decide in the next week. So there is a non I, and again I have no intel but man what I, what I'm saying is there is a man who knows in the transfer portal these are crazy days. There could be a transfer. You're right Neil. There could be a new Gator by the time we podcast next. That's true. That's true. Enjoy the uh, second weekend of the NCAA tournament, y'all. Roll Tide.